welcome to the Digging Six Feet Under podcast, where every week we review each episode of HBO's original television series, Six Feet Under, with your host and licensed funeral director, Victor Rubio. Hello and welcome to the Digging Six Feet Under podcast. I'm your host and licensed funeral director, Victor Rubio, and today we are here to discuss episode four of season two, titled Driving Mr. Mossback. I'm here today with special guest Robin of the iZombie podcast, and well, let me first say, hello Robin. Hey, glad to be here. And before I tell the special, special reason why you're on the, the podcast, you are host of the iZombie podcast. I didn't catch the name of the other two podcasts that you do, so That's please uh, tell us about them. I've done so many podcasts. Uh, the <laughs> ones I'm doing currently, yeah, there's the iZombie podcast with Robin and Steph. There's other iZombie podcasts out there, but mine's oh, okay. with Robin and Steph. And uh, that is just to cover the TV show iZombie, you know, as a kind of like, kind of like a live fan cast. And, you know, uh, uh, you need to have plenty of morgue experience to deal with that show. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, we'll get into that. Um, uh, the other two podcasts I do are sort of less uh, exclusive, more like with friends and just hanging out. And one's called Redemption Cast, which we do like once every few months or so, talking about episodes of Angel. Um, okay. And the other one is called uh, We Don't Want to Wait, which is with my co-host Steph uh, as well. And uh, that is a show we started as a just a uh, hilarious binge watch of Dawson's Creek. Okay. <laughs> and then we got we shot right through that and then decided, hey, it was kind of fun being like, you know, in our 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 40s talking about right, teen right. dramas from 2000 so we've just <laughs> continued on we're now talking about the uh ryan murphy show popular uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun that's so funny to hear uh, when you say funny like i mean you don't talk about it as serious as like if you listen to the ep- the, the podcast you're not talking about it as serious as i talk about six feet under right like you're kind of <laughs> Joshing uh, no, with it, be- yeah. <laughs> no, because you know it's constantly run into the wall of like these are teenagers and teenagers act ridiculous, and then you have the whole thing like, yes, these are a bunch of white men sitting around a writer's table <laughs> writing teenagers too. So uh, <laughs> you know it's fun to approach it from all sorts of angles, right? <laughs> and I I love you know it, it's a binge cast, and I thought it was very clever that we call it. We don't want to wait because it's uh, yeah, that's it funny. The Dawson's Creek theme and. Also, the whole binge binge experience. <laughs> that's so. funny. That's real. That's really funny. And that's like that's. I mean, I imagine there's not a lot of uh, podcasts out there doing a retrospective on Dawson's Creek, and then now, <laughs> right? I, I'm no. pretty sure you cornered the market on that. <laughs> it's a niche niche audience. It's almost as if. Uh, I don't know. I don't, you know, it, when we did, uh, I was surprised there was no other six feet under podcasts uh, back when uh, I was doing my old podcast. And I'm glad you're still doing it. Well, know? yeah, that's, that's what's so funny. And the reason why Robin's here today is uh, Robin did a six feet under retrospective. He went, he knocked out all five seasons and his podcast was called Fisher Cast. And. Yep. This podcast here, Digging Six Feet Under, you know, I've been thinking since I first got in touch with you, I've been thinking of what the comparison is. Like, is this like a, because you're the host of that podcast and now, yeah, I I haven't been able to find any other Six Feet Under podcast. Uh, Yeah. A few years ago when I when I was thinking about doing this, I looked up, I was like, oh man, I, I can't believe I've never heard about this podcast. Let me do this. I saw yours and then I was like, 
oh man, it like uh, what's the word? It intimidated me because one one was oh, out. Well, yeah, no, it's funny because it's like one was out there already, and it didn't even occur to me. Like, well, hey, you're actually a funeral director. Like, you could have that route, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah, you have to have the angle on things, you know. <laughs> I, I I would call myself funeral director as right, the host right. of the show, but I was <laughs> not actually a funeral director. And you know what's funny is your podcast. This show is funny. Like, it's obviously yeah. it's about death and it's about everything, right? But. Kind of something that kind of goes uh, under under the radar is this show's really funny. It's dark humor, and, and, and it's from the pilot. And right from the pilot, you know, yes, you're, you're going to die a, a long and horrible death if you're smoking. Right there, the bus <laughs> hits him dead. That's funny. <laughs> like, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. in the darkest way possible. Uh, your podcast, and I, I'm speaking here from the, from the angle of I'm someone who, like, uh, I'm obsessed with uh, uh, Breaking Bad. And Breaking Bad mm-hmm. dispersed a bunch of podcasts out there. And every once in a while when I'm doing a rewatch, I'll listen to like the same uh, podcast episode of the same episode, like three, you know, across three different, just get all different takes <laughs> and everything. Just feed yes. me Breaking Bad talk into my ear, you know. And what's funny is now we have kind of these, the mine and your podcast. Your mm-hmm. podcast is so upbeat and so funny <laughs> And I don't know how I've got because I am not a serious person, uh, despite how I may come off in the podcast. And my pod, <laughs> when I listened to your podcast, I was like, "Wow, your podcast is just so funny, so upbeat." You guys are joking, and I've somehow turned this podcast into serious. <laughs> I, I don't know how I've done it, uh, but I, I, a recommendation for your podcast because it, you know I would definitely recommend go listen. It's a lot lighter and a lot upbeat. Yeah, I mean, I I appreciate your podcast because, you know, as a Six Feet Under fan, it's great to hear like intelligent conversations talking about the themes, talking about real life, uh, you know, funeral directing, what it's like to work in the funeral business. Yeah. And, you know, and then you have guests on that have their own perspectives and, and walks of life, but you have some real good conversations. And my podcast, we spend like, we spent like 15 minutes talking about whether it was weird or not that Brenda was peeing in front of Nate. In this <laughs> you <episode>. did. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And I was personally grossed out by it. And then I got kind of, uh, you know, yelled at for, I don't know, having those feelings, but, <laughs> but we'd have, uh, you know, we'd, 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 we approached it. Like, you know, I, I'd seen it all. The show, uh, affected me i i loved i loved it i loved it and the show kind of came around the right time like i lost my father the year that this show premiered so it was okay. like it it hit me right in that yeah, i was like yeah. oh my god this is right i was nate back then <laughs> i made a scene at my father's funeral freaking screaming just like <laughs> nate was and uh uh you know, so I had it from there but then there's just this weird quirky family drama and it, like you said it's a lot of fun um, so my podcast would was just me coming from it from like an experience of watching it on HBO all those years ago and having it personally touching my life and then just sharing it with my friends. And sometimes you get that whole like you you're able to show something to somebody and they're like, yes, I get it. I get it. And yeah, then you yeah. have the other friend that is just like, yeah, this is I don't get what you're saying. In this, you know? <laughs> right, right. So uh, it, it was it was funny to have that kind of perspective. <clears throat> and on your podcast, uh, one of your two co-hosts, you had Moira, who is a I don't want to miss miss say what she is here, a doctor or a physician. She's a physician. 
So, uh, yeah, I, uh, I'm i not sure. Sh- Let's call her a doctor, and then we doctor, can go we down from there. We called her Dr. Moira all there the time. Go. Doc uh, Brown, of course. <laughs> and uh, just, just sort of teasing uh, two things here. I'm going to have her on uh, in a future upcoming episode. I don't like to give spoilers here. In, a, in an upcoming episode to really uh, discuss Nate's AVM. I want to just I have never awesome. I never clearly understood it and I kind of just want to spend you know time understanding that but mm-hmm. uh, also as a teaser and you know we'll talk about it later I guess off mic right uh, I definitely want to do a <laughs> reunion episode and I want to follow your format and everything just kind of kind of bring it back because your podcast was so much fun like that's what I thought this podcast was going to be Sp- spending 15 minutes discussing who do, do, do you read the magazine in your hands or on the floor? On the floor. And if you do it on you the floor, you're lying. You know, like there's no. <laughs> <laughs> what are you leaning over for? Right. Oh, you know, work yourself in. <laughs> no, <never mind. laughs> uh, so uh, yeah. yeah, we had also we had, mm-hmm. we had the Darwin Award. I would, right. I would, it was fine, like a, a kind of similar sounding death, mm-hmm. and uh, you know it worked some weeks and some some weeks it didn't. But you. <laughs> led me into a perfect segue that you did the Darwin Awards. And I wanted to yeah. try and facilitate you a bit where I was going to do a Darwin Award and I just couldn't find one that I felt was appropriate. So what I wanted to flip it was I was going to do the uh, obituary award. I wanted to read <laughs> a funny obituary that I had found and you know just sort of go from there. So an obituary I found was this year. It's rather recent, uh, January 30th. And this is a real obituary. This is not one of those fake news things. And it's really hard nowadays, you know, to find out what's uh, real or fake. And mm-hmm. this is from CNN.com and uh, definitely other, even the daughter responds about this obituary. So I'll just go <laughs> ahead and read it and we could talk about it. Okay. The obituary starts out, uh, Leslie Ray Popeye Charping was born in Galveston, Texas on November 20, 1942 and passed away January 30th, 2017 which was 29 years longer than expected and much longer than he deserved. At a young age, Leslie became, quickly became a model example of bad parenting combined with mental illness and a complete commitment to drinking drugs, womanizing, and being generally offensive. Leslie enlisted to serve in the Navy, but not so much in a brave and patriotic way, but more as a part of a plea deal to escape sentencing on criminal charges. <laughs> Leslie's hobbies included being abusive to his family, expediting trips to heaven for the beloved family, pets, and fishing, which he was less skilled with than the previously mentioned. Leslie's life served no other obvious purposes. He did not contribute to society or serve his community, and he possessed no redeeming qualities besides quick-witted sarcasm, which was amusing during his sober days. With with Leslie's passing, he will be missed only for what he never did. Being a loving husband, father, and good friend. Leslie passing proves that evil doesn't... (laughs) This last line. Leslie's passing proves that evil does in fact die and hopefully marks a time of healing and safety for all. (laughs) That is amazing. Now, playing psychologist here because uh, it'll say a lot about me. I wanted to just... Let me ask you first here. Uh, the idea that you cannot speak ill of the dead, you know, there, there's right. just uh, obviously someone like me who who sees this uh, day in day out, and you see it, you see it any time, right? Someone dies, and any of that negativity, any bad that they've done in their life, kind of goes under the carpet, and we only celebrate the good, and understandably mm-hmm. so. That's kind of like the idea, you know, you don't speak ill of the dead. That still doesn't change what that person had done in their life, right? right. This person was. 
to, to, to post that obituary that was in the pay, you know, and everything. <laughs> Obviously was a, a bad person to this daughter, his daughter. Yeah. Right. Uh, now, let me ask you, what do you think about that? Like, I'm not asking, would you ever, uh, you know, write up an obituary like that, but the idea <laughs> of doing that. Um, yeah, it, it, some people really deserve it. I would, I would assume. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, especially this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'd like to write up an obituary about myself that would, <laughs> would be hopefully as honest as that. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> But uh, yeah, I mean, seriously, like I'm, I'm a big fan of not speaking ill of the dead. I mm-hmm. think, you know, even when it's like a, a celebrity that's, you know, I'm, I hate those people who are like, oh, like, uh, like Prince died. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't really like his songs. Like just to kind of say it in like the same breath. Yeah. Like, yeah. You no, know, just why? Why do you need to put your own personal stamp on that? Right. It, it, in that aspect. Right. It's like you're not contributing Positive yeah. or negative, you're just putting your spin on something that doesn't deserve it, right? Yeah. Uh, I was asking because you know, just like I prefaced it, that the whole idea of speaking ill about the dead is just something that is not accepted. But it again, like I'm trying to say, it does not change what that person had done in their life, despite of how good or bad they are, right? But right. the quote here from the daughter, and like I said, this is telling of my background, and you know, you could read through it. She you know, she kind of responded to the idea of if, if you know, whether you're allowed to or whatnot speak ill about the dead. And she just said, I am happy for those who that simply do not understand, you know, referring to writing this obituary. Yeah. This means you had good parents. Please treasure what you have. So it's, mm-hmm. you don't understand what I mean. So it's kind of like if you were offended by that, that's actually a positive in terms of that probably means you had great parents and the idea of writing something so miserable is so bad. Uh, She went on to say, I apologize to anyone that my father hurt and I felt it would have been offensive to portray him as anything other than who he was. This (laughs) obituary was intended to help bring closure because not talking about domestic violence doesn't make it go away. Right. So it wasn't a total, I hated him and I'm going to trash him while he's dead. There is there is closure in that, and I think that's important too as part of it. You know, uh, make sure people understood or whatever, right? But I totally get this side of, yeah, you just don't say something like that about the dead, you know? Right, right. But you know, and and somebody who is uh, probably scarred many people, of course, in his, of in course. his life, you know, you, you almost want to find some sort of yeah, like you said, closure, some sort of lesson to be learned. Yeah, yeah, like. This is awful. Don't do this. <laughs> <laughs> so with that being said, we can now, which does not relate to this episode at all. There is no uh, tie into Mr. Mossback or anything. Well, we don't really know what Mr. Mossback right, right. was. He could have been just as bad. You could have, there could, he could have been on a bus because nobody could stand to be around him. <laughs> right. You could have easily just swapped out the name in the beginning and this would have been Mr. Mossback's <laughs> obituary. Uh, mm-hmm. But we can get into our episode. Uh, our death capsule starts out with a bus tour for seniors around Seattle, where you know Nate's old stomping grounds. And you know, typical six feet under, uh, the tour guide is this cheery, happy woman. But when the mic goes off, she's feeding for a cigarette and cursing. Uh, you know, I imagine it was just sort of like when you're at Disney World and you imagine when like Mickey Mouse takes off his or her costume. 
You know, kind of mm. like smoking a cigarette with still the costume <laughs> on and just the hat off. Wait, um, those are costumes? <laughs> I totally forgot. Spoilers. I'm really sorry. Really sorry. <laughs> sorry, kids. Any kids that are listening. <laughs> but we we see here simply in the show's shortest, most concise death, Mr. Mossback dies in a seat on the bus. Mm. Um, maybe jumping ahead, but what? usually a death that happens in the beginning of the episode sort of comes back to you know throughout the characters like kind of like you said whatever the death you know plays to a certain character uh besides bringing nate back to seattle did you see anywhere and and you know what even furthermore too i like to play the name game of like you know why this episode was titled this was it just simply that just mr mossback's going to seattle and that's it's a avenue for nate to get back to seattle and show that well, I mean, when you talk about the name game, it, like it's funny, it's called Driving Mr. Moss Back. Like it could be called Driving Mr. Moss Back Back. <laughs> right. <laughs> back Back, right, right. <laughs> um, yeah, this is a guy who uh, went on trips on his own. What was all, was there really any else, anything else other than the fact that he didn't like to fly revealed about his background? And he did these trips with his, apparently his wife had died earlier you know, mm-hmm. let's just say 20 some odd years ago when he just started, took these trips with his friend and eventually this happened. So there wasn't a lot of background. It's not like he was, he had got diagnosed with AVM at age 30 or anything like that. There was no like, that's what I'm saying, the tie yeah. into the episode. I, I really, even even the episode title too, you know, I just, I really didn't, unusual well, for know. a six feet under episode, I guess I would say. Yeah, I mean, you know, if it if it had more about like Mossback was like avoiding, yeah, perhaps yeah. facing things, yeah, I mean that could be equated to what Nate's going through. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, it was fun hitting this episode and not. I haven't watched any of these episodes in gosh, oh, five years, uh-huh. and having to remind, <laughs> I had to re- watch like the HBO recaps. And be like, okay, that happened. That happened. Okay, this yeah, didn't happen, to see where happened. you're at. <laughs> <laughs> so. uh yeah, so it was. I was like, I forgot. I actually had forgotten that this was the whole drive-through mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. episode. <laughs> episode, right? And our episode starts out with Gary the counselor, and he's speaking with Claire, and we see Claire is visibly and understandably angry about <laughs> failing to help out Gabe, and you know, sort of the hopelessness of it. Uh, I did like the dialogue between the two of them, where Gary is trying to get Claire to talk it out, but. You know, like kind of like you said, we can't forget that she's in high school. She's seventeen mm-hmm. years, eighteen years old. Uh, reading the situation, Gary offers Claire to trash something in his office. Then at first she declines, then just sort of knocks over his coffee cup, and instantly she feels better. Uh, yeah, he had betrayed her trust, right? Uh huh. Said or, something about well, some yeah, just the idea that it's it's a uh, patient confidentiality unless yeah. someone's in yeah someone's in trouble and call it betraying whatnot he did he did the right thing as did claire eventually so yeah it's funny this uh he he must fill his desk with useless things just so he can pull that like you want to just break something go ahead and break something you know and it's great that claire didn't actually break anything but just spilled his coffee all over his desk which probably was even worse than just breaking something (laughs) Uh, and and i like uh how claire is just kind of jumps to that like 
out of nowhere. Yeah, she she's really, she's really calm. Then all of a sudden, it just ticks in her head like, you know what? Fuck this. And she just knocks yeah. it over, you know. Yeah. And then just bounces right back to her chair. It's <laughs> yeah, oh, great. She's like, huh. Uh, arrangements are being made for Mr. Mossback, and David is speaking with the family on travel arrangements for him. He's in Seattle, and they need to get him to L.A. Uh, Robin, on this particular episode of your podcast, uh, you had one of your co-hosts that had said she had worked in travel, and she dealt with this a lot. Oh, yeah, that was Daz, yeah. And I, I wanted to press the envelope further, just sort of, you know, being the funeral director here. Uh, basically... If you're in a high transient area, you know, you're in the big cities, New York City, Chicago, Miami, Los Angeles, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. Chances are if you're flying out of there or in there, uh, well, actually out, out rather, let me say, if you're flying out of those big cities, uh, chances are there's a dead body on your plane. Uh, At the end of the episode, we see that uh, Mr. Mossback is sort of uh, transported in this tray into the van, and that's exactly... What is transported on the plane? I always assumed it was a, just a coffin, but it's actually like this, like what, like a styrofoam it, case? <laughs> it, it's either or. They call it a, it's either an air tray or a combo. And basically mm-hmm. what it is, it's just like a wooden pallet. And if a person is flying without a casket, they'd go in, in, the, in what we see at the end of the episode, which is just a combo. It's just a, basically a wooden pallet and then cardboard box that goes on top. Uh, it's a lot more ca- it's a lot more expensive to fly with the casket because you got to add on that you know weight. Mm-hmm. But when you're flying, I know for the most part, if you're flying out of the country, uh, they usually always require that you be in some container. So that's when you have the casket or you know a Ziegler case or something like that. But but yeah, if you picture it, just you know people in these high transient cities, when they die, they sort of are buried or whatnot back home. Mm-hmm. So that's why, you know, like I always say, uh, even if, if you're watching when you're on a plane and you see like the cargo loading, just pay attention next time because chances are if you're in one of those cities, you're going to see, you know, being loaded. Yes. <laughs> and it's right down yeah. there in your cargo. So uh, this would have been a great episode to have you on our podcast for because I uh, what struck me this time around is uh, how uh, I think David said that they didn't need to refrigerate him. Because he's already embalmed? Is that yeah. true? Well, usually the the state law, for the most part, I can't speak for every state, but the thing is if you're going to travel in between states, uh, the body needs to be embalmed. Uh, mm-hmm. Being that he was embalmed, embalming is preservation, essentially. Uh, icing or refrigerating the deceased would be a form not as effective as embalming. So you have extreme rare cases where religion prevents embalming. Uh Speaking out of time, uh, out of uh, ignorance here, but I, I believe that the Muslim faith and sometimes the Jewish faith they don't allow embalming. So we get sort of like what he was referring to was like sort of these dry ice packs that would keep the body as cold as possible. That's why you know you have the freezer and that's where bodies are stored, right? Uh, freezing retards uh, decomposition. So in in in, in terms of what. Uh, David and Nate were referring to it's that yeah he was embalmed so he did not have to get a refrigerated uh, van to drive back and he's already preserved and he'll last you know however long it takes till the funeral and whatnot so yeah so so it doesn't I mean how long could you possibly do that I mean it does start deteriorating at some point right or is it if you keep the temperature up you're fine here's here's how how I could go about that uh Every, uh, everyone dies for different reasons, different causes. 
And furthermore, your body reacts differently to embalming chemicals. So a person who died of old age at 100 years old, right, will embalm perfectly, be perfectly preserved. Whereas someone who's 40 years old died of cancer doesn't take as well to the embalming. And they're a rather, their decomposition starts faster, more. Uh, mm-hmm. the, best, the best description I could say about this is when I was in mortuary school, they showed us a picture of uh, a disinterment where the body was dug, backed up, you know, under the grave. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was buried almost close to 80 years. And all this gentleman had was mold on his, like, lip area. Wow. Other than that, just, um, how do I say the word, uh, discolored? But other than that, the only the only noticeable there's something off here is that he had just sort of mold growing on his mouth. Other than that, though, perfectly fine. But I, I'm 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 limping lumping that in with, you know, there's someone who died at 40 years old and starts decomposing within days. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of a crapshoot for them. But for the most part, you have you know sort of a finite time, just with some decomposition here and there. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, safe to say though you're, you're you're good within the month let's just assume and that's a that's a really long time for all this to happen uh from the time mr mossback died in seattle up until his burial in los angeles let's say it's going to be a month he'll be fine for that because he's embalmed if he wasn't right. embalmed he you know within a week or so his body would be pretty pretty decomposed that's your uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah i i can't imagine the pictures you must have seen in mortuary school <laughs> Yeah, I got hung they, up on that for a moment. <laughs> it was it was rather informative, and it's funny. I've seen the pictures I've, and stuff I've seen in mortuary school. Almost doesn't compare to what I've seen in real life because it's it's the most extreme, the most yeah, you know. But yeah, good stuff. As for the need to move a body on on land, I uh, wrote in my notes here that it's really only acceptable if it's Dracula. <laughs> Only other, than that, other than that load it in the plane <laughs> right 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 you gotta worry That's about crossing funny. water you know it's Dracula uh, Keith's mother is having surgery and Keith needs to take care of his niece Taylor for a little and we saw from last episode and, and this one that Keith and Taylor are pretty combative uh, I love this little girl who plays Taylor. She plays the role so well. Um, uh, just so shocking to hear <laughs> yeah. what comes out of her mouth. How could you let... Uh, uh, Robert, I know you're a parent. Would you let your nine-year-old... I, I, understanding she's acting, but you have to mm-hmm. let her say these words. I mean, I'm not a parent, but if your daughter was offered a role and she was in this, would you let... Like, How do you play that as like a parent? Just like, no, no, honey, it's okay to curse and say these pretty awful words it would be it would be very tough mm-hmm. but i you, you know six feet under that's a pretty high profile <laughs> uh, tv show you know and uh you know if, i don't have to work all the time you know she doesn't want if she wants to work and yeah, i had to constantly it. remind my kids like you know where the money comes from and where the toys come from but uh if she's earning her own keep that's great you know it doesn't matter what she has to say just go ahead Earn some money for daddy. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I, no, on, no, I, I mean, you, you have to have like some serious conversations about. Yeah, like, yeah. She's she's not she's like not fudge, she, yeah she's not she's just not saying 
curse words that you know sort of fly off off that she's saying you know rather rather uh, hateful stuff and yeah mm-hmm. i just imagine that's a that's a hard thing but i mean man she does it great like you forget her age and you think she's like a seasoned actress just the way she uh goes about it yeah and but, if you look at that script i mean you know she's learning she's taken out of her environment that she's been in and she's learning yeah uh, yeah what's acceptable and what's mm-hmm. not and, you know, you sort of see her and Keith, they're rather combative. You know, they're, mm-hmm. they're the, the, the each one kind of lights the other fire and gas each other up. You know, when Keith's mother leaves, Taylor's like, you know, I know a lot of wor- a lot of a lot of worse curse words than shit. And Keith's <laughs> like, well, so do I. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like, yeah, the, the, the one feeds off the other. Yeah. And uh, uh, kids aren't like taking care of a kid is just not a good idea for Keith at this, this point in time. <laughs> right, He's right. just got the anger <laughs> problems. There's a little dinner scene where Nate and David agree that Nate will fly up to Seattle and drive Mr. Moss back. Uh, Nate is rather quick to do this. And I don't know if you had ever looked up. Do you know how far the drive is from Seattle to Los Angeles? Oh, no idea. Because they the, the way they toss it out... Sure. The way they toss it out, you would just assume it's like, oh, it's like a six-hour drive at most. It's an 18-hour <laughs> drive. Oh, my God. <laughs> right, right. Uh, me, I love driving. I've done a lot uh-huh. of cross-country trips and, and you know, driving uh, whatnot. But an 18-hour drive. And the thing is, too, he just sort of – it was on the fly. You know, he was leaving the next day. Obviously, he's going to spend some time in Seattle with Lisa. But that's an 18-hour that's – a, that's a two – that's a two – two-day drive if you're kind of you know going all out and everything not stopping all that but yeah i just couldn't believe uh, how long that was Um, yeah if you're dealing with the what he's dealing with the pressure that he's under you know and the i mean it sounds almost like an amazing thing to be able to just get out yeah yeah be on your you know Mm -hmm. what i thought was interesting was uh him inviting claire like Mm -hmm. why I mean, I understand. Like when he's talking to Brenda later, he's like, "I wonder why I didn't invite you." He's, it's like right. you know why you didn't invite Brenda. <laughs> <laughs> but what I'm wonder, what I do wonder is why he decided to ask Claire. I mean, other than being like another person who could drive, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I wonder what. I think there was something in an earlier episode that maybe made him think, "Oh, she needs some help." Well, if you notice, uh, Claire says. Did you take me, you know, did you just invite me to get me out of there? What happened in the prior episode is that this whole, the whole Gabe thing basically exploded where he's now, he's now on the run and she kind of turned him into cops. So he just sort of invites her the way I took it, at least just to get her out of the environment for a little bit, just kind of clear her head and whatnot. That Uh, sounds right. On and again, I'll be referencing your, your podcast just, you know, just sort of just to jump back and forth. Uh, one of your hosts had mentioned that, that the camera work and the lighting was rather weird. And I noticed that before I listened to your podcast, because if you notice this scene, and it's something rather unusual for Six Feet Under, like they kind of shoot Nate at the side of his face, and there's weird camera angles for Claire and Ruth. And even like the bla- the background is blurry. And right. uh, um, one of my co-hosts on, on two episodes so far, Colin Llewellyn, you know, he sort of hit me with, Nothing on this show is unintentional. There's there's always a purpose for whatever they do. And keeping that in mind with the the shooting of this scene, um I couldn't I couldn't descri- I couldn't figure out what they were trying to say. Uh and it's rather like I said, it, it's it's un it, it's unusual camera work for six feet under. Usually when they do something like this, it's a heavy 
there's something heavy coming. Nate realizes he has AVM or something. But here they were just kind of talking that I'll drive up to Seattle and, you know, Claire could come along and they talk about this plan for a little bit. Yeah. See, that's where I think I really noticed it because you can see the ball being passed around. Mm-hmm. Where's Ruth's attention? Mm-hmm. Like, and when Ruth's attention is on David, uh, Nate and Claire, you can see are snickering to each other. Right. Like, I right. think David's in focus. And then about the ball bounces to Claire and then she's, you know, and she's in focus and the other one, other two are snickering. So mm-hmm. I, I almost think that that has to do with who Ruth is, you know, focusing kind of on who the ball is being passed to. Mm hmm. The other, the other one that we we passed by was the uh, the the camera shot uh, over where like it's David talking to the two uh, relatives of Mossback. Okay, and how it's like over his shoulder, and you're not exactly sure. Like he's from behind. Yes, he's in the he's middle. Very anonymous, and, right? Yeah. Like the, the 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 let's just say that the the daughter and son of Mister Mossback and. The, the camera is behind everyone. So all you see is the back of David's head. And he's yeah. just this character, this funeral director in between the two of them. Yeah. And and then, so I was looking at that. I was like, well, wait a second. It's not like, they seem to be agreeing with each other. So it's not like they're divided. Right. You know? Right. But yet the shot shows them divided. divided. Yeah, that's a yeah. great point. The, the, the other shot, which makes more sense to me, is the shot up from his knees looking up to him almost mm. as he's talking to them and giving them advice. Like he's almost like larger uh-huh, uh-huh. than them. You know, I just thought that was interesting. Like he's the, he's the professional, the expert. <laughs> he's not the one like, yeah. Yeah. Who lost a loved one, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I had, I had reached out to a friend of mine who's a film director. And I also reached out to Colin just to sort of, like maybe, and again, I tried. I tried to let it, you know, sit around in my mind, just because, like I said, the, the the background being blurry too is sort of weird. And just again, like I keep mm. saying, they shoot in Nate's face. I just want to read what Colin had wrote me about it because I thought it was oh good, please. It, it was something uh, interesting. Uh, Colin says the use of close-ups is almost jarring, but what's most interesting is they seem to be using a split diopter here also known as a deep focus. It's when you obstruct the camera lens down the middle to keep the whole frame in focus. Uh, for my money, again, this is Colin's words, uh, for my money, Alan Ball was trying to keep the family in focus and shoot a close-up of Nate, David, Claire, Ruth to share the frame in focus to show the family's growth. They're eating at a small table versus a big one, and they're closer together, all in focus. Uh, and he sort of referenced that the beam of light is possibly Nathaniel, because if you remember... The background is sort of dark, but just the dinner table is light. Um, in the context of the show, I think it's a maturation of the family becoming closer since they were since season one. So, yeah, that's just kind of the way. Again, I don't know. And then when I asked my film my film director friend, he could, really couldn't tell what camera lens they were going. And he, I mean, I kind of asked him rather quick, but he couldn't tell what exactly they were going for. And he said, maybe this is just a director trademark. That he caught, you know, sort of shoots like yeah. this. Yeah, yeah. This is Michael Cuesta, who I think did like maybe like eight episodes of Six Feet Under. Right, right, almost. right, right. Yeah, yeah and maybe just a a, a perk, quirk of his. Man, I, I look at this scene completely different after listening to your episode. But Nate is at Brenda's, <laughs> and they're in the bathroom. <laughs> when he brings up, he's going to Seattle tomorrow. Um, yeah. Brenda couldn't be less interested as she's reading a magazine. 
from the toilet. And again, to your point, who reads the toilet? Who's on the toilet reading a magazine from the ground? Um, yeah, <laughs> it, it's just yeah. I, I don't know. It's just something like being so comfortable with somebody. It's, uh-huh. you, you must be like super comfortable with somebody to just kind of come and flop yourself on the toilet. Mm-hmm. And you know, I guess if there's a need to tinkle, there's a need to tinkle. But like, she's brought a magazine, so she's gonna be there, be there a while, which makes me kind of like. You're really that comfortable? Like, I don't... Uh, and they've I, only been to... It's, again, they're not married for years and right. years. They're, they're, they're rather new in their relationship. They're comfortable, yeah. but, you know, they're, they're eight months in. And obviously, they're older, but, I mean, still, to your point... Um, and then, of course, my favorite uh-huh, part is uh-huh. the fact that she, like, comments on his flossing. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. That's disgusting. Can you get out of there? Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> uh, again, and if you want more talk on... The magazine being on the floor and whatnot, and more of the the, the bathroom etiquette. Definitely check out Robin's podcast on this episode. Uh, I'm glad that my podcast can be known for things like this. Sounds about right. Oh boy! Uh, but um, obviously, what what happens here is that Nate doesn't even think to ask Brenda, and you know when he brings it up to her, he's like, you know, you're not mad, right? And she, without a care at all, just says, nope. And then yeah. Nate goes on. It's like, wait, why aren't you mad? Uh, yeah. You know, and just the way he just keeps bringing it up. Um, you know, Classic Nate and Brenda. <laughs> you know, and they, they, they do, it, you know, like, you know, many couples in dramas, but especially in these heightened dramas like Six Feet Under, <laughs> like, right. you know, the anal- analyzation goes, mm-hmm. goes overboard mm-hmm. a bit. But what Nate is doing is definitely a classic guy's move where – He's he's pretending he's sticking this out in front of her, yeah. but he's thought this all through. Oh, you think and so? And now he just yeah, I think so. I think he's thought this all through. You know, I Nate's Nate's kind of a bad guy at times. As much as I love Nate, yeah. Uh, you know, and what happens later in the episode, you know, his relationship with Lisa, and right? That's right. Kind of abusive. Yeah. Um. You know, it just shows that I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's not as conscious as I I'm thinking. I don't think it is. I think up to this point, and if you can remember, up to this point, Brenda's been starting to check out, and Nate's has this AVM sitting on his head, so he hasn't. She she hasn't been his outlet. So I think it was a subconscious decision to not tell her up until the point where she was going to the bathroom and he was flossing. I really, I just think he had so much on his mind and it's not like he can go do this with her. And don't forget too, uh, there's the Lisa element where it's not like he could bring Brenda to his ex friends with benefits partners. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I think that's also like, oh, I know how Lisa sees me. Lisa sees right, me as right. the, the son, right? You know, right. yeah, that too. Uh, so why would I want to bring Brenda with me now? Mm-hmm. Whether he was like he consciously thought, I don't want to bring Brenda with me. I want to make me, myself seem like a good guy, and so I'm going to talk it through with her. Which it. is yeah, 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 which is what I'm thinking. But mm-hmm. you know, and I understand that Brenda is also checked out, and she's got her own yeah part to play in this. That's not very healthy either, but. Uh, another thing too, I wanted to mention when they go to bed, Brenda, you know, being ever self-dependent, 
rips the pillow out from under her head, you know, basically never needing support, and she just sleeps, no pillow, and just the, her, her interactions with Nate, you know, Nate goes to say goodnight, and, you know, he kind of, like, softly brushes her hair, and Brenda just gives, like, you know, the, the most polite, yet kind of bitchy, like, ah, thank you, but no thank you, and yeah. they just sort of go to bed. There is no, like, they, now it's, re, like, you know, that rift is driving further and further. And, you know, obviously as the episode goes on, episode goes on but I just, I, I like that little touch of Brenda ripping out the pillow. Like, she's so yeah. self-dependent, she doesn't even need a pillow. <laughs> yeah. You know what I focused on at the end of the scene was mm-hmm. Nate just simply saying, good night, Brenda. Right, you know? right. And then I was like, man, it's been a while since I've seen this show, but do they ever call each other endearing names? I mean, like... I mean, maybe I the Lisa second l- episode, right? And then you. Comp- oh, really? Maybe, maybe. I don't know. That's it's a good point you brought up, but yeah, I, I don't think so. But to, to your point, Lisa, right? Yeah. She's she's the anti Brenda essentially. She's so. Yeah. And she calls him like sweet, sweet, <laughs> something like that. Later right, on. right. Uh, Nate and Claire fly up to Seattle to Lisa's, and them. Them arriving to see Lisa is just so great. Just the hug. It, it's hard to discuss this episode when uh, you're not doing spoilers and you don't find out the person. You know, we can't talk about the person that Lisa becomes. This is a pretty, a rather good introduction into Lisa, though. She's, you know, her her hug with, with, with Nate, so be it. Her hug with Claire, someone she's never met and all he kind of talked about. You know, because you, you even see Claire's face where she's just yeah. like... Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jarred by it. Right. Yeah. yeah. Very uncomfortable. Uh, I think the awkwardness goes even further when they're eating, I don't know if it was tofu meatloaf or meatloaf tofu. I don't know which one. You, I'm going to call it tofu meatloaf. Tofloaf. Tofloaf. No there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Claire even says, why do you even call it meatloaf, right? Um, Lofu. <laughs> and, you know, for someone like Claire, this couldn't be any weirder. Uh now, first, this is something I want to discuss. This lunch scene between Lisa, Claire, and Nate, and Brenda does the same thing, if you remember. Their, their dinner table, or whatever you want to call it, is on the floor. Yeah. There's not many more uncomfortable positions you could sit in while eating. Um, right. And I could even reason that, right, let's just say Lisa's excuses, chairs are made from animals and... You know, she doesn't go to the movies because, uh, what's the quote, film is processed from gelatin and gelatin comes from horse hooves. So obviously we all know that, right? Um, (laughs) That that, that just, I'm like, are you, so you just don't do movies because of horse hooves? That's ridiculous. Um, But, you know, I don't know, Brenda does the same thing. And I don't know if this is an LA thing. I don't know if this is an Mm -hmm. early 2000s thing. The amount of sitting on the floor while eating, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. That's not a thing, right? I don't know. What do you... And Lisa has ants. So. And she does. And she and she <laughs> talks to them, so... They're uh, invited to the table because <laughs> they're so low to the ground. Well, let me ask, have you ever been to a dinner like that? I'm not, not at a restaurant. I'm talking about yeah. a friend's house or a friend of a friend or whatever where, you know, let's all take a seat on the floor no. and let's eat. No, right? Like, that's... No. I mean... No, I mean, it, it, it seems like it would be kind of a good idea. Maybe if there's like, 
like a divot in the floor where you can like hang your legs down into underneath the table, you yeah. know, and the table's still low to the floor. Yeah. Like a sit-in kind of thing. Because, you know, you put a table in a room, it becomes the main part of the room. Whereas <laughs> that low, you know, you can see the rest of your stuff. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but the dialogue here when they're first having this tofu, toflo, uh, did it strike you at all how like little kiddish Nate was acting? Because he's, he's acting like sort of shy, coy, you know, looking down at his food as, you know, Lisa's just, I always know you do this. I always know, you know, and he's just really praising Nate. Kind of like he was like with endearing terms and whatnot. Yeah. Um, yeah. He feels very special to her. Yeah. And I think he's just taking it all in. Yeah. And, uh, and, and it's great to see you know, Lisa. It's just nothing but compliments, compliments, compliments. And, uh. Even even when Claire leaves the room, Claire is so, you know, you or, you know, and it's all about Nate. It's mm-hmm, all about Nate. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, watching Claire watch watch this whole thing is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, what am I watching? <laughs> uh, there's a moment where Lisa says, uh, you know, I always knew you had a spiritual calling, Nate, to be a funeral director. Um, Claire cracks up. <laughs> well, like, yeah, let me ask you, do you think. Not specifically me, but someone who becomes a funeral director, someone like me. Do you think that there is a spiritual calling there, or is that just sort of Lisa's hippiness or whatnot? Like, do you think there is there's some spirit in it? I'm assuming for some people, uh-huh. I, you know, people if they have faith in something, mm-hmm. you know, uh, they might feel a calling to help in mm-hmm. many different ways. I'm, but you know not across the board and maybe maybe Claire doesn't see Nate in that way. And yeah, anyway. she definitely so, doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I would see, you know, you know, real people like yourself. Yeah, sure. Yeah. See, it's funny. And, and uh, like you said, it's not across the board. There's some people who feel like that. There's some people who don't. My coworker, uh, Natalie, she's been on a few episodes. She feels like she had a spiritual calling to it. Her parents died and she just sort of like, mm-hmm. you know, what not felt back. Uh, I, I and again I, I say this on, on on podcast that I'm I'm basically uh, a paper pusher, an event planner, who just mm-hmm. also happens to embalm. You know, because uh, <laughs> that's where essentially are we're wedding planners, except instead of wedding, we're funeral. You know, uh, but just yeah. I also happen to embalm. Uh, but yeah, I just I just thought that was interesting where they you know she had said Nate had a calling, and it just got me to thinking if that's what actually people think that there's like a calling to it from a spiritual sense, but. <laughs> you know, just interesting to hear the other side. Well, it's like any sort of other medical professional. I right, mean, there's right. always somebody who has to do some of those like, yeah. the worst things and then some of the, you know, some of the things you have to study for like, you know, 10, 15 years yeah, to really yeah. be an expert in your field. And I mean, whatever. Yeah. Sometimes things just call to you and you think that mm-hmm. and you're interested, super interested in it or, or yeah, you might feel like, uh, I, you know, somebody special died in their life and they saw how well they were taken care of and was just inspired by it. So, yeah. Uh, Ruth, after having her breakthrough from the plan, is building her house or rather blueprints for her new house. And the first person she calls is Hiram. Uh, First thing here, Robin, as she's trying to inform Hiram of why she's calling it eventually boils to the point because of how weird and out of the blue her blueprint talk is. Boils to the point where she tells Hiram to fuck off, which yeah. is exactly how she should have got her through her whole breakthrough 
uh, plan. <laughs> but I wanted to ask you, if you had an ex call you just like this, uh, same exact convo, you know, n- not getting back together and not even necessarily to catch up, but just that she harbors no hate towards you and is just informing you of the new blueprint she's creating. <laughs> How would you receive that? Because I think I'd probably be like Hiram. Like, are you asking for money? Are you, do you want to get back together? <laughs> do you have an um, STD? Like, what, what's the purpose of this phone call? I mean, the worst part about Ruth's whole spiel is that she's using these words, these like, like, like metaphors, basically. Right, right. Like, uh, and, um, sorry, a bug just jumped on me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Got an ant problem over here. Uh, go away. <laughs> <laughs> that became an edit out moment, too. Yep. Gotta leave that in. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> sorry about that. Uh, uh, so so yeah, the words that she uses it, it immediately puts you off because it does. It just sounds like cultish behavior. Like we have, they have a language, and you have to like figure out what exactly you're talking about. Like if you just talk real and say, "Hey, I've got some sadness or guilt or just I've never quite figured out what what went wrong mm-hmm. here," and I got a phone call like that, <laughs> I'd be I'd be like, "Okay, yeah, let's let's talk." It's I I'm so happy that you're. You've thought of me, uh-huh. um, unless it's somebody that I genuinely did not ever want to talk right. to again. Then I, I might be like, "Yeah, well, I'm not ready for that yet." Can I, can I, can yeah, I, yeah. But uh, yeah, it's those words that put people off, and that you know, and it and it and that's the problem with uh, her kids. Her kids are not seeing that she's trying to improve her life. They just hear this nonsense talk. Right. They're hearing the the the, the not the acronyms, the synonyms now, euphemisms for everything. Yeah. And we see she leaves a message for Amelia with the same blueprint nonsense, a message for Sarah. And like okay. you said, she could reach I out totally to every f- Go ahead. I totally forgot who Amelia was. Can you remind me who Amelia is? Uh I don't I think it's supposed to be a friend. I don't. Oh, okay. I don't think we're supposed to know, because if I'm not mistaken, Sarah is the sister. Sarah's the sister. Okay. Okay. Yes. So yeah, I, I, I'm pretty sure to my to my to my recollection, uh, Sarah uh, Amelia is just a, a a friend. You're not supposed to okay. know who it is. It's just someone, mm-hmm. right? Um, but yeah, like we see that this this the start of the start of the end of Ruth's storyline for this episode is that she could reach out to everyone, except she can't talk to her own kids, and we'll mm-hmm. definitely get there. Uh, Keith is being held up at work and needs someone to go pick up Taylor. As literally. <laughs> yes, yes, literally, Somebody's right? holding him up for <laughs> holding up somebody else, which is holding him up. And, <laughs> and Keith's boyfriend, Eddie, is unable. Um, oh, Eddie. Ra, in your podcast, you guys joked about how David was on the phone while embalming. And the idea of it was like... <laughs> Oh my God! There's no way it could happen. And they were sort of joking. And with the great thing about the show is always a little dated that he's wearing like that clip-on mic piece. But <laughs> yeah, you yeah. guys were—I don't want to say you were—you weren't disturbed, but it was just you guys thought it was hilarious. And that there's no way that someone talks on the phone or you know uh, while embalming. And I was laughing hysterically. I was literally <laughs> listening to your podcast with the Bluetooth in my ear. Listening, embalming, listening to your podcast episode, like oh that exact gosh. moment, right? Uh, and, and I spoke about it on the on the podcast before, where I yeah. pop into Bluetooth and I, I knock out podcast music, and yeah, yeah. sometimes yeah. I have conversations on the phone. Um, so I just thought that was really funny. 
It's very, I, I think it's, it's, in retrospect, it sounds kind of dumb of me to, <laughs> like, obviously, you know, and I wear like earbuds like all day at work, you know, yeah, I'm not yeah. sawing open any bodies, but right, I think right. if you emailed me and said, you know, while I was podcasting and said, like, I really liked uh, when you were talking about this. And uh, as a matter of fact, I was actually opening up a body uh, <laughs> while, while you were saying, I would have been pretty freaked out by it. I wanted to jump because I, I think we were in 2010. <laughs> I think you were in season two, or was it 2011? I can't remember. But 2011. you 2011, 2011, yeah. and I wanted to jump back in time and be like, "Guys, guys, I'm doing it right now!" Like, <laughs> like you guys are talking about it, and I'm doing it. But I know I'm six years late, and you guys can't hear me. But, <laughs> um, but here, last episode, we had David call Keith to help him out with something, uh, you know, with the Claire and Gabe fiasco, and now we have Keith calling David to help him out. And my last guest, Charnel, sort of uh, noticed how, like, when Keith needs something or he compliments or he sort of goes against Eddie, his boyfriend, anything that's positive for David, David kind of has, like, this little grin. And, you know, he's sort of like, mm-hmm. he has, like, this little bank of, like, okay, I could use this to my advantage, use this to my advantage. <laughs> and, you know, Eddie, Eddie isn't there to help out Keith, but David is. And, you know, he kind of couldn't be happier doing so. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Taylor is at David's, David is David is sort of the anti Keith, right? Where we have Lisa is like the anti Brenda. David mm-hmm. in the relationship with Taylor is, you know, kind of the opposite of Keith. Taylor is complaining about cookies and coloring and all this, right? And David, instead of fighting, just basically treating her like an adult, like, fine, you don't want to do that, you don't have to. Yeah, not happy. Watch TV, right? Which is <laughs> exactly what anyone, uh, you know, if if that's what adults would do just like all right you don't gotta do it whatever yeah he's not gonna get put out by it and you know i'm sure part of that is to you know to impress keith right but, right uh, <laughs> yeah but uh yeah it's just here's here's what we have and uh and thank you for explaining coloring books to me <laughs> here's the t you know do you, uh, yeah. do you know how to operate the tv <laughs> yeah and you know what's funny it's like when david asks her if she knows how to use the remote she goes like Bitch, I know how to use a remote. Use a remote <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, in David, instead of, you know, fighting back with her and being, don't talk to me like that, it's just like, fine, I'll leave you alone. Why am I going to, you know, just the op, it's probably the opposite of, not even the way Key treats her, just her home environment, like like her mother mm-hmm. and her grandmother just always probably going back with her. David's just like, all right, fine. And you see, like, no, that, kind of, that kind of works out in her fate. Yeah. Like, you know, they kind of grow a relationship. I can't help but think back to what we were talking about earlier with if one of my daughters was asked to play Taylor on this show. Right. And just I was just picturing her, one of them in, in this scene alone, just like there's my kid, like giving Michael C. Hall some cuff, you know. <laughs> I think it'll be, you know every once in a while you hear your kids kind of swear and you're like, oh, oh don't do that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think this would be a kind of scene that would uh, right, probably crack right. me up. <laughs> uh, Nate and Claire are going to get burgers after being unfulfilled from the tofu meatloaf. Me, God, now you yeah. got me with the tofu loaf, tofu, tofu loaf. Uh, where, <laughs> where that's where we find out they used to be friends with benefits, and then here we have uh, again in a show about death, and we see bodies and embalming and uh, you know, people dying every episode. To me, I this was the most unnerving, uncomfortable scenes in Six Feet Under thus far. Oh, uh, gosh. You know, first, 
first Nate brings up that he's he smells rotten eggs, and then all of a sudden he has deja vu. And then, man, you did it so great on your podcast that I thought you were actually having a stroke or a seizure. <laughs> Can I get a, a double chubby chubby double? I can't even do it as good as you, man. You I should have. I, I probably wrote it all out. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to read it here, and I just wrote. I, I think I'll talk, I chubby double double chubby, and I just thought I would have been able to go on from it. Um, but that's pretty scary, and, and you know, watching. Yeah. I had forgotten this actually happens. It was pretty like, whoa, whoa, is he okay? He, yeah, he nails it right. The acting on it. I don't know how a per. I don't know how this would happen. Like it's never happened in front of me, but I believed it. Like I was really in the mm-hmm. moment seeing Keith, uh, Keith, seeing Nate. Uh, you know, to go through this chubby double stroke <laughs> pre seizure whatever. Um, and you see his eyes kind of glaze over. It's like he's not there, but he's also like trying his hardest to think this through. Yeah, and like the motor is going, but the motor, it's, it's not going forward. It's just, it's stuck in, in whatever uh-huh. he's saying. And, it, you know, Claire's reaction is cracking up at first because these are like ridiculous sounding. Bur- like he's, it's as if like anybody would kind of stumble at saying, like, I'll have a double chubby double burger or something. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Uh, and you know it's as if he's getting all he's screwing it up but then he just keeps saying it over and over and over again and just oh gosh that's what's so great about six feet under is you have this moment that's so and and the music cues up to even you know like what's going on here what the hell's happening to nate and you just Mm -hmm. have the guy from the drive-thru you know can i take your order i just again it happens like three times claire's like you know shut the fuck up i'm trying to hear what's happening i can't it's just the I'm way to call the manager right it's like bitch go ahead like just the way nate is having this serious life-threatening moment and claire's telling the guy to shut the fuck up yeah. like only you only get that in six feet under you know i just i really loved uh that scene uh, yeah, the only thing unrealistic about it is the car behind them is just sitting there. Yeah, like, like they're, they're not jumping out of, out of the car, they're not honking. <laughs> Nothing's that. They're just sitting there. Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> What's interesting is Claire found out in the worst way possible. She mm. didn't get a sit down with the conversation like 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 uh, David got. She got this freak out moment where you know the symptom of Nate's AVM arise and you know obviously we said it in a pretty scary way and you know he even tells her he plays it off like it's not a big deal uh, oh yeah it's two just, words tofu meatloaf yeah yeah like, <laughs> like I've seen people eat tofu meatloaf and that never happened before um, <laughs> but it just plays to the idea that Claire is not sort of as important in the family she's sort of like a my previous guest Charnel had said like Claire's just sort of a sha- uh, satellite right now and just the way you know and obviously he didn't want to scare his younger sister but it's just sort of like yeah not a big deal don't worry about it i got my two pills a day and you know we're all good despite if he had that happen while driving that something serious could have happened but yes and it's also kind of selfish of him to be like oh, yeah i don't know just like she needs some like real like talk about it not mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. like oh don't worry about it mm-hmm. you know brenda back in los angeles is in a <laughs> session with one of her clients who she finds out is the prostitute and the only uh, reason yes. why i'm mentioning that is because she does play a role in the common episodes but brenda gets a call from her mother margaret about emergency oh, wait, wait. go there's, ahead go ahead did you did you know did you know about this actress did you look uh, up? i you know what's funny about that you guys started asking a little bit of where you knew her from 
Yeah. And then I was like, she does look familiar. And then I went to go look it up and I was like, I'm pretty sure you guys didn't see her in anything else. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I think she was in an X-Files episode. Okay. Which is, yeah. Uh, yeah. A show I like. Uh, but what's more like crazy is like her story. Um, this actress, Kelly Waymeyer, um, uh, she had heart disease. Yeah. And, uh, she actually died uh, of cardiac arrhythmia the following year after after this episode. That's crazy. Like so young. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, and and I think I looked up looked her up, you know, in later episodes, mm-hmm. trying to figure out like where do I know her, and then noticed her date of birth and date of the death. following yeah, year. Yeah, Jeez. yeah. So sad. Yep. And like I said, uh, Brenda gets a call from her mother, Margaret. There's an emergency to find out her father is cheating on Margaret. Uh, We learn here about the rules between (laughs) Margaret and Bernard's uh, cheating arrangements. Yeah. And I'm going to read the rules because I have a follow-up to it. The (laughs) rules of their marriage in regarding to... I guess you can't call it cheating, right? You would call it uh, open relationship, whatever you want to call it. The rules can't fuck my friends i can't fuck yours no fucking of mutual friends not in hawaii no hotel that's over 300 dollars. no hotel that's under 75 dollars. not on holidays but apparently the cardinal rule that he broke is that he didn't tell her first right so i got to thinking what would happen if her husband okay had sex with someone who was a mutual friend in hawaii that cost 50 dollars on a holiday <laughs> like, <laughs> that's just grounds for divorce i suppose i, I, I like, almost that's a lot of rules broken there i mean it's every i tried every, i tried to fit every scenario where it's a mutual friends <laughs> on a holiday in hawaii in between but was the, there penetration right right there's that discussion too that we could only find out <laughs> uh, so I followed, yeah I the, it seems like i broke all the rules but there wasn't penetration so it doesn't count <laughs> Uh, with the dialogue here between Brenda and her mother, I mean, this is what it's like. I always had a, I always have a hard time with Brenda because mm-hmm. I just don't know. I, I can't get a full – I have a full grasp on David. I have a full grasp on Nate most of the time. Brenda is always like so complex that I can never you know, fully grip it. But in this, in this scene alone with the two of them, it, it, it's what you have when you have two narcissist psychologists come together. Because you could basically swap out who's saying what. If you just switch them, who's saying it? And it's the same conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, because there's a moment when Brenda tells Margaret, uh, you know, I have a client who's a prostitute. And Margaret responds with, is that supposed to surprise me? If Margaret had said that, Brenda would have responded the same way. You know? Yep. It, it's like watching two people argue over a point they agree on. You know, like, I, I you're both the same person. You're both... So narcissist and so about you that it doesn't even occur to you that you know you're both one in the same. The Chenoweth family is so freaking great <laughs> TV, like such great TV because they're so outlandish and just that family dynamic uh-huh. of growing up and being constantly uh, in like put under a therapist lens, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and then your parents have an open relationship and then there's. <laughs> Gosh, Billy, on top of all of that, Billy. Uh, yeah. yeah. And it's true. Like, she's, she's, Billy's, Billy's gone now. Yeah. And this whole 
relationship, she's got to like rethink her life. Yeah. Without Billy, so we're, we're gonna I, I we're gonna get to that point. I'm saving it for the end of the episode because I think oh. two characters, well, the four characters, come together and there's like a, a nice parallel. And we're gonna get to mm-hmm. that. Uh, something that you, one of your co-hosts mentioned that uh, only a woman can realize, not a man. The woman that we find out that comes out that uh, Bernard's been cheating on, uh, her hair is too short to have a scrunchie. So there's a little film. <laughs> you would never <laughs> think of that. I would, it didn't even occur to me. And when she said it, I was like, huh. I went back and watched the scene and like, yeah, her hair is way too short. No, well, There's only one way to take that. <laughs> That's not her scrunchie. Oh, like, yeah, oh wow. It, he's cheating yeah. on her with somebody else <laughs> and left her scrunchie in the car. Yeah. Imagine if they both looked at each other like, wait a second, this scrunchie doesn't belong to either of us. <laughs> the, the, the plot thickings. Oh, God. Uh, you know, and, and, and to my point before that, you kind of just swap, swap out the dialogue with each character. Uh, Brenda, after this, asks, why am I here? You know, why am I in this car with you? And our mother says, you know, not everything is about you. It's literally just the same line that she, you know, repeated about the prostitute, you know. It's not yeah. the same. It's not word for word, but it's just like, yeah, like, you know, I, this doesn't this doesn't surprise me. This is not about you. This is about, me, you know, the two of them. Uh, but question, and again, maybe I, I, I sort of, I'm asking the question knowing the answer. Why was Brenda there? Was it literally so she could have an audience? Like, why did the, at first the mother called her, but. Was it there to protect her in case she goes all ape shit like she does? Um, uh, <laughs> like, yeah, I'm not even sure yeah. why Brenda decided to show up other than it's her mom. Maybe she's going to do something stupid. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and when she shows up and her jumping out of the bushes like she does. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, to close out the storyline for now, Margaret breaks down, uh, deciphers Brenda, and like you said before, uh, slaps her. And like I said, yeah. I want to get back to that uh, at the final scene of this episode. Uh, but back to David, him and Rico are embalming. Uh, if you've noticed or remembered what Rico and David are doing, they are... They sort of have this man on the embalming table. They have his arms extended and they're massaging his arms. What they're essentially doing is pushing out blood clots. Uh, ah. The goal of embalming is to get full distribution of the embalming fluid and especially the extremities, right? Because that's where the furthest blood pumps. Uh, and you want to get f- embalming fluid from head to toe. You want to make sure all the body's preserved. And basically massaging the extremities, you're... I mean, the most literal term, you're pushing the blood clots, to, you know, so mm-hmm. they could come out. So embalming fluid gets in. So that's that just... That was a question I had written down. Oh, great. Then look <laughs> at that. I, I jumped it before. Perfect. Yeah. I, you know, related, have you... Are you or have you met anybody like Rico that takes such pride in their work that, you know, maybe they're... I don't know. I don't know if you're really allowed to take pictures, Uh, Yeah, and I've talked about that because I guess this is the first time I'm watching it and I now have to analyze everything and I I have to talk about it. Before, I just, you know, Rico would do something so weird and creepy and it'd just be like, huh, that's weird, moving on. Uh, Yeah, it's it's sort of weird how they portray him because, I mean, I don't want to use this terminology, but he sort of gets off on the idea of embalming and, 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 you know, embalming ideas and being able to embalm someone, you know, there's episodes where he's just like, I can't wait to embalm you and all this stuff. And it's just, that's really, really, really weird. Uh, of, of the funeral directors I've had on the episode and just people I've talked to like, yeah, 
he he's a little bit exaggerated. You would have, if anything, if you have anything, and you have this guy at your work and any job you're working, you have this guy. If anything, there is someone who wants to be head in front of the actual funeral where you have your funeral day and, you know, you're there to, you know, have a service and put to rest the deceased. You'll have someone who's like, who always wants to be in front of everything and is trying to take care of everything. You know, uh, that's like the most extreme I get off on doing this work. Mm hmm. No, I, you know, very rarely is it like, oh, I can't wait to embalm. Like, no, I, I, rarely implies that it happens. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. You know, Rico is uh, at least these early seasons. He's way over exaggerated in terms of the embalming and whatnot. Well, I just, you know, it's like the uh, the artist perspective, like looking like like a sculptor looking at a, a big big rock uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> and going, "Yes, you're yeah. gonna be my next masterpiece." Yeah, and, and I get, I totally get that. In that, in that, you know, I, even though that was just like an analogy or an example, but I get that. Mm-hmm. I don't get Rico being so aroused to embalm and do that stuff. Yeah, um, like like one like like somebody a body comes in, it's lost its nose. Like, how am I going to make <laughs> this guy's face look presentable? Yeah, yeah. you know, in an open casket, and uh, you know, it's like like the challenge of it. The challenge know? of it, yes, but you're just you're yeah. you, you're not you're not expressing it as aroused as Rico is, you know. Yeah, it's just like, I guess I never really thought of it as a, as arousal, more like this just weird artistic yeah, yeah. thing. Uh, but we see when they're embalming here that Taylor comes downstairs and she sees David embalming. Uh, again, kind of like I said before, that David talks to Taylor like she's an adult, uh, but she's gentle. You know, this is her first brush with death, and David is amazing in talking to her about it. Uh, it's a conversation every kid eventually has, right, or finds out about. Uh, the idea of not being immortal. Uh, you know, her, her questions are adorable because she says, you know, my mother always says she wants her mother dead. Is she going to die? You know, she has a literal interpretation of it, but... I like the, did you kill? Like, <laughs> Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and that's a perfectly reasonable question to have, right? It's just like, wait a second, did you kill him and bring... Like, right, not even bring him here. Did he die here? Like, yeah, why wouldn't you think that if you don't understand how all this works? Um, I, I This whole conversation, I thought David just handled it so well. And, you know, like I said, it, it's why their relationship flourishes. Uh, David treats her like an adult, and it sort of disarms Taylor, you know, being so hostile towards him. Uh, our next scene, we have David, Ruth, and Taylor are having dinner. And the first thing Taylor does is immediately gets up to eat uh, dinner by the TV. Uh, never having been in this family environment, she gets told to sit down, which is just probably, we can assume here, a total contrast to what it's like at home for her. Um, but they get into the squall about the word punk-ass fudge packer. And much to what Taylor says about Eddie, that he talks to her like she's stupid... David, sternly yet, you know, approachable, openly explains to her why they don't say these words. Uh, you know, it's important to understand, you know, you just, it's not just don't say these bad words. You have to explain to her why, right? I, I just like how David handled all of it. Yeah, it's excellent. And, um, you know, I, I, f- I forgot, you know, about how in these earlier episodes, how Ruth, um, you know, she's, it's almost like 
she's just kind of getting used, still kind of getting used to David being gay and then trying to, I don't know, speak positively about it. But you can tell that this is, this is still kind of new for yeah, her. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's funny because I, I really listened to my, my podcast too. Uh huh. Uh huh. And, and we didn't have any idea. We kind of talked around why Ruth left the table mm-hmm. and i don't think anybody actually came up with a solid reason why mm-hmm. um but uh i i went back to, you know when i watched the episode this scene like she gets up right after i think it was taylor saying it, some it, people don't know how to talk to children or was it right that's exactly the line that she says that line and she sort of gets up yeah and of course if, i i'm surprised i didn't think about it but she is literally has her children next on her list to talk to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, she's that's, very that's, upset about. Yeah, that's all not putting it together. To, yeah, that's yeah. that's how it all sort of ties up. Um, but yeah, she realized how hard of a time she has talking to her children, and again, that that last scene is why I want to tie together her and Brenda. Uh, real quick, I had I had mentioned in the last episode that Keith says about Eddie that he lacks depth perception, and I was having a hard time deciphering that. But here, when Taylor says Eddie looks at himself in the mirror a lot, it's like, ah, there we go. There's the depth perception. It's <laughs> You probably just... And again, if I was Eddie and I had muscles like that, I probably would be doing the same. Um, yeah. Right? <laughs> Look at this. Yeah. Great work. Like looking at yourself like Rico does at a dead body. <laughs> right. Uh, that, whole thing, <laughs> that whole thing uh, makes sense when they see it. But... To close out the storyline, at least when it comes to Taylor with Keith, uh, Keith comes to pick up Taylor, and Keith is sort of surprised how well David did with Taylor, and, you know, we sort of get the feeling that the spark is back. And to something we've been mentioning probably a few times throughout the episode, Lisa is being overrun by ants, and she's trying to reason with them by talking to them. Uh, I had went on this whole thing that I was... At first, I was going to present it as... You know, hey, what do you think kills? Uh, I was going to set it up like this: Fun- uh, when a body's decomposed in a house, right before anyone gets to them, sometimes maggots arise. And my question to you is going to be: what do you, what fluid do you think we use to get rid of the maggots? Like, what's the most uh, efficient uh, liquid? Turns oh, out, boy. well, here's the thing: she says it, uh-huh. and Claire kind of says it that you know my father used to use lighter fluid. I didn't even put two and two together that kerosene is lighter fluid because if you're in a, if you're an embalmer listening to this podcast or whatnot, there's a bottle of kerosene in every embalming room, and it's sort of like an embalmer's you know secret hack that kerosene just kills anything maggot related and any nesting that they've done, and that's why you you know Claire says my father used to use that on whatnot because and I I, I guess that's a, a hack for everyone a little gardening tip or whatever that yeah kerosene lighter fluid you don't have to light it on wow. fire yeah it just sort of yeah. kills your your maggots your your infestation like this and then you just kind of scrape it out <laughs> uh, the dead maggots out or uh depending on where they are like if they're inside the nose it's just yeah you know you're just leave it in there you can't really mm-hmm. grab each one out but uh depending uh, on I where know what i'm going to include in my will now <laughs> No maggots in my nose. Make sure. <laughs> and a lot of kerosene, right? Um. Yeah, yeah. Just light me up. Just yeah. go right But here we have Nate checks in on Brenda. And there's just that 
you know, if you've been a trouble, if you've been in a troubled relationship, you know this feeling that something's wrong, and the con- the phone conversations are awkward and bumpy, and that's exactly what's going on here. Uh, you know, Brenda can't be on the phone a moment longer, and they have this sort of awkward goodbye, and leads to this Brenda dream scene. Uh, you know what I'm talking about, right? With that phone conversation where the relationship is over, and these like, you know, these conversations are really awkward. Like, uh, oh yeah, uh, what's the word? I have it with my wife every day. <laughs> uh, no, the, it's 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 funny too because the, they 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 kind of come at each other like, oh, we're just we're just adults and mm-hmm. we're just speaking very adult like, and mm-hmm. uh, this is very mature. I have a bath and hmm, I'm gonna go turn myself in. And, uh, <laughs> It's obviously a, a big ruse <laughs> to yeah. each other, yeah. but yeah. they're also like happy the other one's not pushing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, it's a convenient, don't bother me at this moment because I also don't yeah. want to be bothered. I also don't want to bother yeah. you. Um, but it leads to our dream scene. What <laughs> oh, Scott Axelrod. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what was funny about your, your, your podcast was you had three women oh, on gosh. and all the yep. three women... Uh, they are all uh, unifying agreed. The shower head's a woman's best friend. And I was like, yeah, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's obviously you probably heard me quiet down. And- <laughs> yeah. Cause it's like, yep. I, I, I'm, I'm just give you guys the floor. <laughs> but you know, basically Brenda at this point, she's absolutely checked out physically and now mentally uh, with yeah. Nate. And to contrast, we see, you know, Nate's in bed and Lisa suspects something's wrong with Nate. She could just sort of feel yeah. it. And basically with some light questioning, Nate breaks down and cries. Um, whether it's the AVM or the lack of interest from Brenda, Nate just balls out in Lisa's lap, you know. Um, yeah. I would say the relationship is pretty close to done if, let me say, if my relationship, right, and my significant other felt more comfortable crying in another person's lap. Yeah. And furthermore, if that person could sense what's wrong with her more than I can, I would say like, yeah, that's, that's what other purpose is there in the relationship if you can't rely on that person for that? But yeah, go ahead. I mean, we all have, I mean, I don't, I, I know I have, and I'm sure my wife has like those old friends that, you know, we're very close. Right. And can spot these things. Right. Hey, you're, I haven't heard from you in a while, but you're looking a little frazzled, you know. Yeah. And and then that then you feel comfortable enough to confide in them, like, or maybe break down a little bit because it's been a while. Yeah. No. Um, of course. But yeah, especially if he's not if he's not saying anything, of course, to Brenda, that's that's a clear. Yeah. Sign, yeah. But, yeah. And at this point, he should have. We are, let's just say, a month from his diagnosis. If you're going a week in time. Actually, furthermore, actually, because, you know, you kind of take season one. Uh, it's been a while, and he obviously he hasn't said anything. Earlier, when they were talking about the ants, Lisa makes it a point to tell Claire she's not in love with Nate. And us as an audience, we know, you know, that's a lie. And furthermore, it's kind of her bringing it up that hints that she obviously, you know, still is in love. Um and again, I, I want to go back to something you had said that Nate is, I don't, I can't get the exact word out of my head. It was Nate, Nate's mean to Lisa. You, you said something to that effect, how Nate treats yeah. Lisa. Yeah. 
I mean, abusive is a harsh word, but abuse. Yes, abusive is the best word we could come up with at the moment. But and again, we see here that like you know, Nate finds this brown shirt, and if there was any of a telling sign, you know, Lisa's like, "This is so Nate." Yeah, Nate knows what's going on, and just sort of to placate her, leaves her with this shirt. It's 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 unsaid, unspoken, but obviously, at least now, I think I think after he gives her back the brown shirt, I would say. We've taken a step up from abusive. Yeah, it's just this whole like Nate. Nate is so self-serving. Down. Yeah, he's he's not. Um, he's having a. Uh, let me see. He's he's basic. I'm um, double double chubby chubby double chubby bubble. chubby chubby <laughs> double double tofu meatloaf tofu tofu. Uh, he's he's uh really just kind of indulging in the attention that she's he's never like saying like hey listen i'm you know i'm not that big of a deal you know? uh-huh, <laughs> like, uh-huh. or 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 like yeah yeah this is this is my shirt thanks thanks for holding on to it for me yeah you know to give the shirt back to her and saying like here you hold on to this and think of me <laughs> <laughs> you know that's so ugh. yeah yeah I, I see what you're saying. Again, it, it's it's to your point. It's hard to talk about this when you can't talk about spoilers and you can't address. Oh, or, yes, exactly. Because you're allowed. There's so much more room to work with. But where we are here, yes. Let, let's put a pin on that before we start uh, spoiling. Move on to David can feel Ruth. David's in the the kitchen in the house, and David can feel Ruth has something to say. Uh, something I really liked about Six Feet Under that they give us here is David says, "I'm all ears," and Ruth tells us how that reminds her of Nathaniel. Uh, it, it you know it's such a small tweak to remind us that they are family, right? And even more, uh, when she said that, my mind sort of went to like. I could actually hear Richard Jenkins, who plays yes. Nathaniel, say that, right? Absolutely. I picture them here in, in his suit and his white shirt with his tie off, like, I'm all ears, kind of like with a coffee mug, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but here, Ruth tells David about how Taylor's blueprint, God, uh, is being shaped by her surrounding family and that David's relationship with Keith can affect that negatively. This, you know, I, 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 I toyed with it in my mind how I wanted to say this and... I, hopefully I can express it well enough that it's not taken the wrong way. The first thing I wanted to say was David and Keith would provide a much more stable environment for Taylor than her current home life does. Right. Right, with her mother always being gone. Um, but to, to the point I wanted to try and make is Ruth sort of has a point in that Taylor's nine years old and we're here in 2002 her uncle has an unusual relationship. The majority of her friend's parents are heterosexual. A homosexual relationship can be confusing to a child, right? Like I'm not I'm not overstepping any huge boundary or going outside the realm here. Well, I mean a little. I mean, it, you know, you would think that they're a child and like you can actually like talk to them i mean he has no problem talking to her like an adult about about a dead body in his basement (laughs) well that was going to be my point is that she has a point but it's that they need to talk to her about it not that it's a problem but that hey this is you have 
two daddies, right? Like, let's just say they, they all, they become a family, whatnot. I know it's not, it's not Keith's child, but she has a point in that she's being, I'm going to leave the blueprint out of this, but I, it's an important, I, I imagine it's a discussion you have to have with a child because that can be confusing and it's not in a bad way. I would even push it further. How wouldn't it be confusing if all your friends' parents are heterosexuals and now today, you know, we have gay, gay culture is more more prevalent and popular than ever. I would assume that the uh, discussion needs to be had. Yeah, at this point, it really doesn't. If, if anything, David is just Keith's friend and a trusted friend and somebody that. Oh, you know, oh OK, OK. Of. Let me preface it with then I kind of took the relationship and I and I pushed it to the point of that they were married. <laughs> so maybe maybe yeah. that that I, I should preface it with that. I wasn't going to say just that they were friends or that they were even lovers. I was thinking more that they, the two of them were married and that this was their child. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I sort of took that. Uh... <laughs> and it's and, and no, it's it's it, OK. Well, on on the t- easiest thing to dismiss first of all is the fact that R- Ruth does this whole blueprint nonsense right, on, right, on top of right. which is just this first thing that David you know probably like flinched at mm-hmm. like oh Jesus this but <laughs> then just the whole confusion conf- what what's confusing is it is it confusing because like it's she's not with her mom and she's being bounced around is it confusing because David and Keith are gay and they were or maybe in a relationship. Is it confusing because, you know, she doesn't know David or Ruth? Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's, but David, you know, knowing Ruth is still getting used to the, the gay thing. And, well, right. And is talking in blueprint. Right. The plan nonsense. He just kind of flipped on her. Yeah. And like I, like I said, and, and to my point is is just that, Ruth presents it as it's a problem and that maybe you guys shouldn't yeah. have a relationship to Taylor. And kind of what I was what I was trying to go off is that uh it's it's not a problem, it's just something you probably would need to talk to her about just so, so she has a better understanding. There's nothing wrong with it. But again, I was prefacing it with that Nate and I'm sorry, Keith and David are are partners, lovers, right? Or whatever yeah. you want a boyfriend, boyfriend, husband and husband and a discussion like that should be had, but being that Ruth's parents present that as a uh, Ruth's parents, Ruth presents it as a problem, and obviously she still doesn't know how to talk to her children. David just completely breaks down Ruth and all her plan nonsense. Uh, the line, you know, you're starting to sound like a crazy person, and maybe you should keep all this to yourself because you're starting to sound like a fucking crazy person. Time to keep that shit to yourself it, and mind your own fucking business. <laughs> right, which right, is great. Um. <laughs> And again, this is where I wanted to parallel it to the Brenda and Margaret storyline because Margaret, like you had mentioned, completely broke down and put Brenda in her place. You know, about you spent 32 years. I'm I'm quoting Margaret here. You spent 32 years taking care of your brother to avoid having any emotion of your own. And now that he's away, you have to face your own demons. Um, And that's when Brenda, she has no idea what to do besides just slap her. And, you know, when someone rocks your world like that, there's nothing else you know how, like, if you're given that hard of a dose of reality, same way David gives to Ruth, you know, Margaret gives to Brenda, that you, you know, that's what you have happen. And I just sort of like that parallel where just someone just totally gave him the, the real of it. And, yeah, tell David tells Ruth how much her plan is BS and walks away. The whole thing where she 
walks off leaving the car door open is like oh <laughs> yeah just just right? yeah just now you're gonna have to get out and close that car door because f you and again yeah again i i just saw if if you know she just found her husband cheating the woman whatever i walked away i was like man what an inconvenience to have to go around and close that door <laughs> just little things uh my wife picks up on um, mm-hmm. but so I already talked about this, but I was going to close out the episode where yeah. Mr. Mossback is loaded in the back of the van and I was going to talk about the combo tray, but being that we talked about it already, uh, I did like the Mott line where Claire says it's comforting to know Nate is as fucked up as the rest of us. <laughs> no, I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's like, yeah, you are. And <laughs> they pull away and head on their 18 hour drive back to Los Angeles. Uh, a funny uh, Twitter moment here. Uh, Robin, if you could give your Twitter handle. Oh, it's uh, L Robinero. Uh-huh. And <laughs> uh, well, a funny moment we had was uh, I had seen uh, Robin was watching this episode. And the next tweet I get is he sends me the link to this funeral home. And it's funny because when I did that, when I was doing, you know, just kind of my analysis on the episode, I looked it up as well. And I was like, oh, it is a real thing. Uh, so just a funny interaction that you sent me the funeral home, which is real yeah, and in Seattle. So I'm assuming most of this was shot on location. Yeah. Cause my notes say like neon lights on a funeral home. Like, is there yeah, a right? reason for that? <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. And that sort of closes up our episode. Uh, any final thoughts on the episode, Robin? Oh no. I mean, other than, you know, I, I love Seattle. I've been there before. Okay. Pike's Place is a great place. Uh, I, I didn't mention that Lisa's house. Holy cow. How much money is she making at that co-op? Because oh, I mean, can what? she? I imagine that's with that <laughs> view alone. Yeah. I imagine that property is sky high. And is there anyone else in the house? Because that house is tremendous. <laughs> exactly. Like if she was sharing it with like six other people i would believe it of course of course <laughs> but she seems to be on her own in this gigantic house and gosh the view of seattle alone, oh it's... breathtaking absolutely yeah and robin if you could tell us again about your uh i zombie uh, podcast you had a specific <laughs> yes uh, you had a specific name for it it's because there's a few of them i zombie podcast with mm-hmm. robin and stuff you can actually find that at i zombie if you're a fan of the show or if you're just a fan of like uh, Rob Thomas's uh, previous shows like uh, iZombie or, or not iZombie Veronica Mars mm-hmm, or uh, mm-hmm. Party Down uh, we've had cast members we have had Rob Thomas on the show already it's, it's, uh, yeah it's it's not only really a fun show to talk about the episodes but we've I've had a lot of the cast and people from the show on on the podcast which very lucky that's all yeah, I'll say. that's awesome <laughs> very lucky and uh, before I let you go, I actually wanted to do something that I forgot to say. Uh, Fisher of the week. <laughs> oh, <laughs> put me on the spot here. Did um, I? I'm sorry. And I meant to do that on purpose. I just wanted to see. No, no I know. Um, I know so who your Fisher of the week was back in 2011. It was David, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, Although you did sort of get peer pressured into it because everyone yeah. else selected David. So now I'm giving you the out that you don't have to select David. Um. Okay. So. Nate, definitely not. Uh, <laughs> David, did he do anything awful? He took care of Taylor. He was a good guy. 
He might have had some ulterior motives. Kind of lost his shit on Ruth, which kind of I think won everybody else over. Like telling somebody finally telling Ruth to shut the hell up about this plan stuff. Um, Claire, though, um, I can't see anything. Uh, you know, uh, for uh, like a different thing. I think I'll go with Claire this time Claire. because. She was a good sister, helped her brother out. Yeah. Went with yeah. her brother. Uh, and, and I apologize for putting you on the spot like that because I'm going with David. <laughs> Even with the, ah. <laughs> I, I just, oh, I go. love, I love the way he disarms Ruth at the end. I love, and you guys had talked about it. This You could see what's great about Six Feet Under, and if you're a fan of Dexter, you see the groundwork for that Dexter character. Because every mm. once in a while, Michael C. Hall goes Dexter. And it's just this calm, ripping you to shreds moment. And just that whole, you know, mind your own fucking business. And he just sort of walks out. I love that. I, I love when, I love that he's confident enough to do that now. Because if you remember, David was this really scared, uh, difficult coming out of the character, coming out of the closet character. And now he's telling his mom to fuck off. That's that's great. You know, that's such beautiful character development. That's Nate's influence too. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, definitely Nate's influence. Yeah. Uh, so yes, that wraps up our episode. Uh, you can listen to this podcast on diggingpodcast.com as well as all prior episodes. Uh, you could follow me on Twitter at diggingpodcast. You can follow Robin at L Robinero. Uh, You can like us on Facebook. We're at Digging Six Feet Under. And join me next week as we will be discussing episode four of season two. Nope. We will be discussing episode five of season two, uh, titled The Invisible Woman with last week's guest, uh, Sharnell Bush of the What About Your Friends podcast. Uh, Thank you for listening, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Digging Six Feet Under podcast. Join us on the next episode as we review each episode of HBO's original television series, Six Feet Under. Please search and subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes under Digging Six Feet Under. The Digging Six Feet Under podcast is in no way affiliated with HBO or Six Feet Under. And the views expressed here are solely that of the hosts. No infringement is intended.